Hi guys, I'm Oren from TravelingIsrael.com and this video is all about helping you plan your visit to Tel Aviv and the main things you need to know in order to understand and enjoy the city. I will start by saying that what stands out most about Tel Aviv is that it is not Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to the Euro What, episode number 26 for the week of September 24th, 2018. I'm Mike McComb and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hey Ben. Hey Mike. We're a couple of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest and this week we'll be getting caught up on some of the headlines from the last couple of weeks. Boy have there been headlines it turns out. Yeah, like everything seemed to happen just moments after we dropped our last episode. Like, yeah, just like five minutes after we dropped the show. So like, oh yeah, by the way, we're, we're going to be in Tel Aviv. You guys were right. So yep. you heard it here first, folks. Yeah. Uh, we knew. <laughs> we knew first and we were correct and... Yeah. Yeah. Look, ignore all the speculation that all of the other blogs had. Like, we, we knew, right? So, <laughs> so yeah, uh, the contest is going to be held in Tel Aviv, Israel. The first semifinal will be Tuesday, May 14th. The second semifinal will be Thursday, May 16th. And the grand final will be Saturday, May 18th. In terms of venues and such, uh, the opening ceremony, uh, which I believe takes place on Sunday, May 12th, uh, is going to be held at the Tel Aviv Museum of Art. The Eurovision Village is going to be held at the uh, Tel Aviv Boardwalk at Charles Clore Park. And the actual event is going to be held at the Tel Aviv Convention Center. It's not the biggest venue that Eurovision has had. It's about 9,000 seats, uh, like as a non-staged arena. So. Yeah, as a, as a nothing inside the venue, you can, you can fit 9,000 people in there. Yeah, but right now the current estimate are that it's going to be maybe 4,000 tickets for like the actual event, which is pretty small. Um, and then there's like a pavilion that's going to function as the green room for all the performers at a given show. And there will be 3,000 seats there, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. <laughs> like, it's just like, okay, if, if you're in the green room, does that mean you're watching the concert through monitors or what what is going on with that so there's probably more details that will be revealed especially once they start figuring out the ticket sales aspect of this but it's going to be a smaller event than it has been in recent years probably sort of, sort of a smaller batch artisanal sort of a eurovision this year Kiev was also on the smaller side of things but the green room was in the same room as it was in the same uh, building and not outside yeah yeah actually this might be a good time to explain like how the green room setup works <laughs> like, uh, how does the green room work at eurovision well at least the last two years and so they have like the main stage area and then there's what they call the golden circle which is where like the people are right up against the stage and that's where when you're seeing the faces of people in the audience that's usually where it is uh, and then there's the standing room pit area that can probably fit oh i'm terrible at estimating people but at, at least a thousand people probably closer to like two thousand people and then behind that pit area is the green room and they're kind of in like these bleachers grandstand 
area. It's it's all set up with tables. Like they're not like at like a high school football game or anything, <laughs> but you could be looking at the stage and then turning right around and being like, oh my God, it's an Azerbaijan contingent. And like, you could just like go like right up there and well, like not right up there, but get close enough to take really good photos. And just like, oh my God, like it's, it's very easy to get starstruck. Having this separate I don't know. I guess like on the TV show, it does make it seem like the green room is in a distinct location from the stage area. And that isn't the case next year. That may be the case where the green room is actually in a separate location when Germany hosted and they had the green room kind of behind the stage. It might be that sort of setup, but I don't know how they were watching the show yeah. from the green yeah, room there. Yeah, because I think Germany was also in, no, Germany was in like some sort of stadium or convention center as well. So right. it might just be just how, how, what works best for the venue. Yeah, they know that they need to accommodate a lot of fans and I'm sure they've got it all figured out. And there are the three TV shows, but then there are a whole bunch of rehearsal shows that you can go to. I think there's nine events total. So three for each telecast like two rehearsals and the actual show so if you're not able to get to the actual tv performance you're not necessarily shut out from seeing any of these performances live if you listen to our last episode you know that we were talking about like planning your trip ahead of time one of the things that we suggested was trying to lock down your accommodations early yeah you may want to look into that now if you are planning on going to tel aviv because hotel prices are going up supply and demand is in full effect here (laughs) cue larissa Rain's euphoria. Going up, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> <laughs> if the hotel prices and the sudden lack of tickets has you rethinking that, there is also uh, Eurovision in Concert, which just got announced. The 11th edition of that uh, is happening in Amsterdam on April 6th next year. So tickets will be on sale this Friday, uh, 10 a.m. Central European time, 4 a.m. Eastern. So set an alarm. Yeah, it is probably the biggest pre-party event of all of the pre-parties that happen. Like this past year, there were pre-parties in London, Madrid, uh, Moscow, a few other cities as well. Uh, Tel Aviv, Um, I think? Oh, yeah, yeah. Israel Calling is the name of that event. Yes. And it's a great chance to see a lot of the artists. Like, I think all but seven of the acts in the 2018 contest made it to Eurovision in concert. So... It's going to be a huge show probably again this year, and it seems like it's a lot of fun. Amsterdam is fun. Uh, yeah, the, the Netherlands in general is fun. I've been to a couple different cities there. But yeah, Amsterdam Amsterdam is charming because it's got like all the old world buildings. Also, if you're only able to go to one or the other, if you go to the Eurovision in concert, you can also host a Eurovision party at home during the main event. So uh, yeah, lot, lots of options out there. But like we said before... Start planning now and yeah. uh, kind of figuring out your itinerary. I need to listen to my own advice. Because uh, so, <laughs> it's just like we're still up in the air. It's like, are we going to go to anything? So so speaking of Amsterdam, though, it's time for your and my favorite segment. Uh, this is not an America's Got Talent podcast in which we check in on how Glynis Grace is doing without actually having to watch America's Got Talent. My sources tell me the show has actually finished. Like there, there will be no more episodes of this season 
Oh yeah, no, I saw the smoke signals. We have a new Pope. Uh, the show is done. Excellent. At the semifinal, which aired between when we recorded our last episode and when it dropped. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, our timing that's was excellent That's how much we don't time. pay attention to America's Got Talent, y'all. We don't even know when it ended. She performed at the semifinal. And I guess the way it works on the show is by the audience vote, the top four go through to the final. And then fifth place, sixth place, and seventh place have to go through another round of voting that's done by an app and it's called the Duncan Save in honor of our Lord and Savior, Duncan Donuts. I mean, I live in Boston. That is the truth. Yeah. So it's like another 30 minutes of voting. And then whoever wins that vote advances. And then the other two people are pelted with munchkins or something. Again, we do not watch the program. We are just here for the Eurovision content. Yes. And Glennis made it through. So uh, good for her. So she made it to the final, which aired last week. I assume she sang a song. I assume America voted. <laughs> I was watching Twitter and was reminded of it when somebody who used a hashtag was like, oh, right, America's Got Talent is on tonight and saw that Glennis did not make the top five. Oh, yeah. Uh, she did get to sing with BB Rexa, okay. who we have to mention in every episode of the podcast, I've just decided. And <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah. so maybe good ma- for her. Yeah. Or perhaps good for BB Rexa. I'm not sure who this was a better promotional opportunity for. My guess is going to be BB. Uh, <laughs> just because uh, there was a video from a Dutch comedy like, late night show that was doing a sort of mock documentary about Glennis triumphing through adversity, even though she seems to have had a rather successful career in the Netherlands. Like, she's had a number one song. She's won several reality competitions. She performed at Eurovision. She has a kid who's healthy and like has an iPad and Wi-Fi. Like it's just like, oh, she'll will she persevere? Will will she be like accepted by America? And like America was just like, eh, you're in our top ten. So yeah. <laughs> America's like, well, you're like top five. No, she's not top five oh. though. That's oh, the thing. Right, yeah. yeah. So I, I'm, I'm bad at listening because again, we do not watch. America's Got Talent on this podcast. Which is probably going to hurt us in the end, because I'm sure like every singing act from this year's competition will probably be involved in Eurovision in some way in 2019. Except for Glennis. Like, there was an article that came out earlier that where she's just like, nope, I did it once. I'm fine. So... <laughs> I'm good. I'm going to go back to my child and my successful life in the Netherlands. Yes. So, it was an exciting journey. I, I think we all learned a lot about ourselves. Mm-hmm. It turns out the real Glennis Grace was the friends we made along the way. Yes. I don't know. I, I feel like we should sing a song, but I don't want to. Uh, no, so... I'm, I'm good. I'm good. So let's just, yeah. So moving on, uh, let's check in on countries. Yes. Uh, so there are 34 countries signed up for Eurovision next year so far. Uh, and I think they have like another month to get their permission slips in, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Um. At, at, at least two or three more weeks. So Yeah, so, something like that. So... Let's see, we had like 43 nations this year, if I remember correctly. So got like nine-ish countries that are on the fence, plus the whatever fan bases in Algeria and or the other places that are that are always like first to get their thing up on the Wikipedia page saying, no, Liechtenstein is done. We're good this year. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Where's Andorra? No. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> no, where, where is Andorra? We're concerned. In terms of national finals, it's still kind of early in the season for uh, countries to kind of figure all of that out. But I mean, we do have some dates. And yet it isn't because, I mean, they probably have to figure out their budget and also the locations for those things. And right. Staging and things like that. So but but details are starting to trickle out. Finland's UMK is scheduled for March 2nd. They're doing the same thing they did this year, which they were picking an artist and asking people to pick the song, which 
I think, you know, aside from some staging stuff, I think that's a good strategy for them. They would rather throw their money behind figuring out the details of what that performance looks like. Although I do kind of miss the sort of randomness. Like you never knew oh, yeah. what, what was going to come out of Finland. And usually it was going to be something, it was going to be something different and interesting. Yes. Yeah. That is one thing I do kind of miss is that they, they had very eclectic taste in an enjoyable way. And I do kind of miss not getting to see like what the, the, like the nine separate acts would bring. Cause it was always something very different, but what they did this year seemed to kind of do well and build some buzz. So I see why they're doing it again. It's an experiment and yeah, we'll, we'll see how that works. Exactly, exactly. Also happening on March 2nd will be the final for Iceland's Song Vakepin. They're tweaking the format a little bit. I think it's 10 songs rather than 12 over two semifinals. And there will be four songs in the final, or maybe five if the judges determine that there should be a wild card. Or maybe 10 because everyone did a real good job, y'all. Yeah. should be proud. Yeah, I mean... It's it's early. They can figure these things out. Yeah, and and it's Iceland. Like... (laughs) Their entire music industry can probably fit in a large conference room. I, don't know. <laughs> so. I, I mean, like I, I find that their like their uh, album that goes along with "Song of the Captain" is always very entertaining to me. Mm-hmm. Like one thing that I love that they do is they make sure that the the songwriters have an Icelandic version of the song, and then if they choose to, the English version. Uh, and there, there are some songs that work really, really well in the Icelandic version. Right. And sometimes they also work really well in the, in the English versions, and sometimes they don't. There are some gems on there this year. Yeah, I kind of wish the way that they would do their format would be, rather than splitting the field into two for the semifinals, they should have, like, the first semifinal be their 10 songs in Icelandic, and then the top three of those like go through and then the second week would be the the 10 songs in english and the top three could go through they could be the same song Mm -hmm. and yeah and then you just have those six songs so it's to be like oh we could have to choose between the icelandic and the english version of this one song or it could be six different songs and just a hodgepodge of english and icelandic and Mm -hmm. i don't know make it more interesting that way but that'll be something to look forward to on March 2nd. I'm worried that that is probably going to be one of these Super Saturdays already since we've already... Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's already a Super Saturday in that there are two separate finals I want to watch that day. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and then we also have Melfest, the six-week extravaganza that is Melfest. Uh, has named its dates. It starts February 2nd. It ends March 9th. And if I remember correctly, uh, they have a different creative team behind it this year because this year's... I didn't do so well in the ratings. That does not surprise me. Like, I, like they, I did not they like saw, a lot like, of the changes that they made. They this saw year. record low ratings, and in particular, I like we had noticed this when it was happening. But like the the number of points that the the eventual winner "Dance You Off" got was like not a ton. Like, and I remember us discussing like what the heck's going on. Mm-hmm. This was really close. As it turns out, uh, something was off of the ratings. A lot of people weren't watching, so they are kind of working with that to see what they can do to to retool that. As long as they get rid of trying to call it mellow, and it's like, yeah, no, it is Melfest. No, it's, <laughs> Melfest. It's, me- it's Melfest. Melfest is already short for Melody Festivalen. Let's just go with that. Figure stuff out, Sweden. Come on. Come on. You guys are good at this. Speaking of another nation that is usually good at this, uh, Ireland. Their songwriters might boycott because of the whole Israel thing. Yeah. RTE, the broadcaster, has said that Ireland will be participating in next year's contest, but the Irish Association of Songwriters, Composers, and Authors are planning on boycotting participating, even though RTE hasn't really 
said how they're going to do their selection process. Like we don't know if it's going to be an internal selection or any sort of competition, if it's going to be something where they're going to try to have the songwriters union participate, or if they're going to outsource it the way that they did in 2017, uh, which probably also uh, is adding some salt to that relationship. <laughs> so I guess we can replace this is not an AGT podcast with what's happening in boycotts is, is, this yeah, week. Yeah. Like, Although like the last couple of weeks, the most of the news tends to be has been like the nation's going, yeah, we're going to be there. Don't yeah. worry about us. We're going to be there. It just goes back to the old adage that Eurovision is not a political contest. Drink. Thank you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So the other major thing that was news going around the blogs the last couple weeks is that all of the nations are selecting their entries for Junior Eurovision, uh, which seems like a great time to remind our listeners that if you're coming here looking for in-depth analysis of the Junior Eurovision competition, you're going to have to go elsewhere. We are good. Thank you. Although Kazakhstan is going to be part of junior eurovision maybe that'll be a stepping stone to them participating in non-junior eurovision but that remains to be seen uh, we'll let you know if anything happens we'll be here first with the news if they are taking part yeah uh which probably won't be until 2020 at the absolute earliest at the, yeah, so. at the earliest yeah eurovision in the wild what <laughs> yeah. uh what crazy eurovision sightings have we had there was a lot of stuff related to the World Rhythmic Gymnastics Championship in Sofia, Bulgaria, which I didn't know was a thing until maybe a week and a half ago. Uh, there was just this sort of blind item about Arina Avarina, uh, who I believe is from Russia, one of the top rhythm gymnastic athletes in the world. One of the routines, which involves a ball that you have to like throw in the air and balance and Mm-hmm. do the rhythm gymnastics i'm really outside of my realm here okay but... I, ca- I can briefly step in and explain what rhythmic gymnastics is as okay who has watched the the, the olympics mm-hmm. uh rhythmic gymnastics is the one sort of like regular gymnastics they have the all around but mm-hmm. it's basically a series of floor routines uh and one time they have a ball and one time they have a hoop and one time they have a ribbon and then there are other implements that they can use Okay. But basically, it's in addition to doing like some tumbling stuff, you're also just like throwing and catching a ball or a hoop or doing like real pretty things with a ribbon. And then there are also individual events in ball and ribbon and hoop and the, whatever the other implements are. And that's how rhythmic gymnastics works. Okay. That that matches what <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was watching. So yes. <laughs> for Arena's ball routine, she performed it to toy. That was kind of cool. The routine, I don't think, went all that well. Like, And again, as a non-watcher of the sport, I don't know the finer technical points of it, but it seemed like there were some bobbles in there that uh, probably should not have been in there. Yeah, I was just like, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. I, I threw it on our dock just as like a thing to note in case we needed some filler. And then a couple days later on Deadspin, there was an article about a rhythm gymnast who had trouble with uh, the ribbon routine because the ribbons kept breaking and getting knotted and like what happens when when that happens and saw the name and saw that it was arena avarina <laughs> it's like it was, wow was, that is it was our girl yeah it was, yeah it was like whoa that small world i guess huh and that that was a interesting thing to see apparently they have like multiple ribbons like available in case one does just kind of snap but then i think you're limited to it was either three or five ribbons and 
yeah, like if, if all of your ribbons break, then like your routine is over. Unfortunately, Arena did not have the best showing at, at the championships. But they did play Netta's Toy, and that's why we're talking about it here. Yes, and also, kind of going back to one of our topics from earlier this summer, where we were talking about World Cup anthems, the World Rhythmic Gymnastics Championship also has an anthem, which was done by Deep Zone Project, who represented Bulgaria at Eurovision in 2008. And they did this song called Golden Girls. a lot um, <laughs> yeah uh their 2008 entry dj take me away which was a song that i was not familiar with until we started doing the lyric generator project mm-hmm. and yeah it has very few lyrics most of the song is performance of like a dj with his turntables on fire like it's hitting like all of the like dubstep element cliches from Eurovision. Mm-hmm. We will have a link to the video in the show notes. I was, about, it is, I was about to say, I know what I'm watching after we're done yeah, taping today. Yeah, it is glorious. They did not advance. Okay. And we'll also have a link to Golden Girls, which is kind of of a piece. Like, their their style is uh, consistent from 2008 to 2018. It, it, it is a journey. I have two questions uh-huh. about the, the anthem. Yes. One, does it feature Jason Derulo? Not the version that I saw. Okay, cool. Uh, two, does it feature the Golden Girls? Again, not the version that I saw. That's not to say these versions don't exist. <laughs> okay, good point. But the, the internet is the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, fingers crossed. Or we may just have to make magic happen. Get me Jason Trullo on the phone now. <laughs> so, <laughs> in, in terms of your vision in the wild that people may actually be familiar with, um, instead of this weird rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Shiri Maiman, uh, who represented Israel in 2005, uh, she is currently... On Broadway, uh, she is playing Roxy Hart in Chicago. Uh, she'll be playing that role from now through October 5th. And yeah, that's a name that you may want to get familiar with because uh, she may be on the short list of potential hosts uh, for the 2019 contest. It looks like the last item that we have is a birthday coming up. Yeah, your, your friend and mine, patron saint of the program, Ralph Siegel. He's not actually our patron saint. I don't know why I said that. Uh, but anyways, his birthday is on September 30th, and he writes a lot of Eurovision songs, like a lot of them. Yeah. What What is your relationship with him? Because I know we bring him up often, we and I can't tell if it, if he's um, like your I, nemesis I, or like your crosstown I, rival. Like I don't. Like, <laughs> I, it's mostly like a nemesis, I think, just because really? his stuff feels like his stuff always feels very 80s, but in a bad way. Like I mm. like the music of the 80s, but. Whenever a song of his pops up, like it always feels, well, at least at least his more modern stuff when it pops up feels kind of feels kind of out of time. It feels cheesy in a bad way. It feels it feels off. He's actually had a Eurovision winner in 1982, uh, Ein Bishin Frieden.
It's probably his best of like the the multitude of Eurovision songs he's written. Like it's it's like your standard early '80s ballad, but it's it's nice. It's kind of synthy, but not too much. It's mostly acousticy. I don't know. I liked this one. It's a little heavy on the love, love, peace, peace for me. Oh yeah, like it's it's very much in like the love, love, peace, peace, uh, love the universal melody sort of a deal. But that's fine. It's it's pleasant. My favorite of his, and I think it's mostly just because of a different song by Genghis Khan, but Genghis Khan's song, Genghis Khan. fourth we should include the a link to that video just to show what eurovision looked like in like the late 70s where rather than like led screens they had like one big kinetic sculpture in the backdrop and that was everybody's backdrop yeah <laughs> that was everyone's backdrop and you and like sometimes the sculpture moves for most of this song it doesn't but it's fine because they have like a dancer it's a song about genghis khan and it's very late 70s and it's got like a great horn fanfare that I once used as my walk-up music for a crossword tournament, which is a very nerdy sentence. Nice. That walk-up music, by the way, did not get used. I was not that great at oh, that no. tournament. Uh, but it was fine because I really should not expose a room of 150 people to that song. Oh, disagree. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's going, well, now it's my, my walk-up music for next year when it will get played. Nice. Um, but just looking at his recent output, uh, again, like... All of his stuff sounds like the 80s, but in a bad way to me. It, it Just like his songwriting chops got stuck in 1985 and haven't quite recovered. The one I found that I think, like all of his stuff tends to, lately tends to not qualify for the final, now that we are in the two semis and a final era. Uh, so Montenegro in 2009 worked with him on Just Get Out of My Life. like at the time i was kind of surprised that one didn't squeak through because it was kind of like just but i think it might just been like the the lineup or whatever but coming back to it nine years later is not real fresh i agree it's not all that fresh i still kind of like it and i think that's kind of where i land with ralph siegel where it's just like it's like i don't believe in the concept of guilty pleasures like oh own what you enjoy if i did believe in guilty pleasures i would say his catalog personifies it, it, it for sort of, me it's sort of a feeling of hating yourself for liking something like Genghis Khan is a very cheesy song it's a very goofy song I'm like why do I like this so much I mean it's 
you should know better. I, 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 think, I think that's it. It's just like, I shouldn't eat this handful of chocolate chips, but I'm going to eat this handful of chocolate chips. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's something like, I'm a tastemaker. I know I know what's good and going on, and why do I still like this? Which is, the it's the opposite of what is going on right now. And then the other one that I feel like we need to talk about, uh, because like he's the main reason that San Marino is still in the competition, Mm-hmm. Uh, as I want, as I picked a, a couple of the Valentina Mineta numbers, but we can probably talk about all of them because he writes all of them. He yeah. he's basically the the poet laureate of San Marino right now. Yeah, uh, and starting... she is his muse. So. <laughs> <laughs> and she his muse. His relationship with them started with the Facebook song, which was hastily rewritten as the social network song because you can't just title your thing the Facebook song and talk about Mark Zuckerberg and yeah, have I'll... that be fine. And... <laughs> listening to the lyrics now it's like mm, they were kind of on to something oh yeah, oh, yeah. No, yeah. Like, it's, it's like it's like it's like <laughs> the same feeling i get when watching black mirror it's like oh man yeah oh yes it's <laughs> like they were they were on top of this and we just were like ha ha she's singing a funny song about facebook yeah making it a black mirror connection man where's that episode no <laughs> uh, yeah, charlie booker do not write that episode i do yeah. not want to watch it yeah although i had my own kind of theory about the social network song which is related to their 20 san marino's 2013 entry uh which was uh chrysalide uh or mm-hmm. vola the theory that i laid out the facebook slash social network song was a way to introduce people to valentina in not really predated meme culture, but it was before like meme culture became culture and allowed people to sort of latch onto her. Because even though the song was goofy at the time, they did a great job of presenting it and selling it on the stage. Like it's just you you got to see like just how strong of a performer Valentina is and like why I, I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, Ben, but I adore her <laughs> and yeah, always look forward to her participation in the contest mm-hmm. she's a real trooper i mean the fact that she keeps coming back and has come back uh for a total of four times now mm-hmm. really speaks to her willingness to to do this yeah and in 2013 chrysalide i thought it was a was a pretty, good song pre- that yeah gotten like a, through yeah that should have gotten through particularly in the 2013 field which i did not think was a particularly strong field and I was on a work trip. I wasn't able to watch the semifinal. But as soon as my plane landed, the first thing I did was turn on my phone and be like, what were the Eurovision results? And when I saw that San Marino did not qualify, I was pretty heartbroken. <laughs> and it's like, but this song was such a great showcase for her. Although it also did kind of showcase one of Ralph, Ralph Siegel's. Yeah, to just kind of cram at least two songs into a three-minute period, not to the greatest success. Re-listening to it with 2018 ears, mm-hmm. the lyric that just sort of stuck out to me, and I forget if this popped up in the in the song lyric generator. I don't think it did because I did. I got nowhere near the word cybersex. Oh yeah, uh, but but just the line: <laughs> "Do you want to play cybersex again?" And on one hand, it's very prescient about social media in this day and age. But on the other hand, that's a real that's a real peach of a line. 
Yeah, I'm wondering if that was just like really weird English translation <laughs> or like <laughs> it's the Google Translate song as well as the Facebook song. Looking at it as a perspective of Ralph Siegel kind of griping about social media, uh, it made me think of this terrible stock Aiken Waterman track that no one needs to listen to, but you should definitely look up called I'd Rather Jack. It's by a group, and I really hesitate to use that word because literally, like, in the late 80s, Stock Aiken Waterman could scoop up, like, some rando off the street and just give them a number one single in the UK. And I think that's literally what they might have done with these two. Uh, it's the Reynolds Girls uh, with I'd Rather Jack, and it's a song that is entire is being sung by these two like British teenagers and they're singing about how the radio format is so unfair to pop music which see you know which is what all the teenage girls are, are thinking about is they're just very mad that all the radio plays is jazz and rock music and why won't they play Yaz or why won't they play Stock Aiken Waterman songs we would rather do the Jack to those the Jack is a dance yeah what what yeah <laughs> yeah yeah like yeah like it's again again it is it is so as someone who has looked at the track listing for the stock aiken waterman cd collection that talks about their production work mm-hmm. it's like buried pretty deep in on like disc two of the huh. two disc set so like it's not it's like it's it's a minor hit for them but in, in what universe is radio dominated by jazz <laughs> um in the universe of this song so like late 80s britain perhaps I don't know. Sure. Okay. That is the premise of the song is that they are mad that the radio does not play more pop music. Uh, we would rather dance to that, please, and thank you. Basically, the the message coming out of the singer's mouth feels like this is something a 40-year-old man would say. Like, mm. a, specifically, a 40-year-old music producer who wants to hear more of his songs getting to number one on the radio. Um, Fair. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, this is really weird for these two teenage girls to be singing about. Some of the stuff in the Social Network song felt kind of like that. But on the other hand, it's just kind of it's just kind of goofy and fun. Uh, and anyways, as we've discussed, that, that relationship between uh, Ralph Siegel and San Marino, and mostly Valentin Mineta, although there was that one year with those two kids that, mm-hmm. did not, that also did not qualify. So they went back to Valentina and, and some other guy who I think was American? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was from Detroit. Okay. Yeah, uh, he, do, he, do, he was the other Detroiter yeah. at Eurovision in Kiev last oh, year. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, because Spirit of the Night. I picked Spirit of the Night over, I want to say it was about candles. The, oh, the one uh, um, Chain of Lights. Chain of Lights. There we go. Yeah. Like, there were candles in the video. There was a, uh, no. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyways, I picked Spirit of the Night because, A, that duet was great in, like, a terrible way. And, like, why was Valentina Mineta in a tracksuit? But also because, like, so much of my love of Eurovision is also tied to my love of terrible movies. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of Voyage of the Rock Aliens. Uh, which you can watch in its entirety on YouTube, highly recommended. It's a musical that's basically a battle of the bands between a knockoff Stray Cats and a knockoff Devo. Uh, but it also stars Pia Zadora. And like the first chunk of the movie is just the music video for the song When the Rain Begins to Fall, which features Pia Zadora and Jermaine Jackson. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and Jermaine Jackson is the Jackson you can get when you can't afford Michael because you you can't yeah. afford. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but, We've all seen that Facts of Life episode. Yeah. So. <laughs> Spirit of the Night sounds like a 2017 update of When the Rain Begins to Fall in, in a bad way. To me, it seemed more like a modern take on Don't Go Breaking My Heart with Elton John and Kiki D. I'm, I am curious to check out this Pia Zadora, Jermaine Jackson collaboration. Mm-hmm. It is his birthday on September 30th, and he keeps writing Eurovision songs, mostly for San Marino. Well, it'll be interesting to see if he participates again this year. I don't know if like it, that's contingent on Valentina participating or that's not. Pre- yeah, uh, which, I mean, if that... I, he did not write this year's entry. That was, that was somebody else's fault. Yeah, so... I mean, it would be great if one or both of them came back. Although I'm now picturing him like Harold Hill style going from beleaguered nation to beleaguered Eurovision nation. Going, Mm. do you need someone who can write songs? Happy birthday, Ralph. Happy birthday, Ralph. Uh, Hope to see you in Tel Aviv. And I think that is going to do it for this episode of the EuroWhat. Thank you for listening. The EuroWhat podcast is hosted by Mike McComb, that's me, and Ben Smith. That's me. You can find us on our website at EuroWhat.com and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at EuroWhat. If you'd like to contact us by email, we can be reached at esc at whatelseison.tv. We'd love to hear your comments and questions. You can subscribe to the EuroWhat on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or the podcast app of your choice. Word of mouth is still the best way to get folks to listen, so be sure to tell your friends about the EuroWhat podcast. You can also rate and review us on those various podcast platforms, and we'd appreciate that as well. We'll be back in a couple of weeks to try to make sense of what's new in Eurovision. 